Good morning to each of you. Uh, the sermon, you have the notes on the back of the bulletin. Um, I call this uh, Love at Home. And the uh, verse on the board uh, is not from Colossians 3. Uh, I was struggling to think of a verse that would summarize or encapsulate uh, the idea. And so this verse is taken from Ephesians 5, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Uh, and that verse there in Ephesians 5 precedes the verses in Ephesians 5 that talk about husbands, wives, children, and servants, the same subjects that are talked about in Colossians 3, talks about them, how they, how these different people should relate to one another. And the, the emphasis on uh, the verse on the board is, uh, I'll use the term um, mutual submission, uh, submit to one another, be considerate of each other. Um, and maybe maybe we're not uh, comfortable with the word mutual, the term mutual submission. Uh, if that bothers us, maybe we can um, embrace the idea in First Peter three seven uh, that the husband and wife are heirs together of the grace of God. That's King James language. The idea that they are fellow laborers uh, in their life's work. They are working together as a team. So most of the material uh, from Colossians 3, in Colossians 3 through the first part of chapter 4, uh, focuses on relationships between believers uh, and the, that the first part of that section talks about sinful attitudes, which I preached about several Sundays ago. Sinful attitudes, sinful speech, and uh, sexual sins that must be put off, and righteous attitudes and behavior that needs to be put on. And uh, the verses this morning are looking uh, in particular at how love is expressed in the home by wives, husbands, fathers, mothers, children, and it includes servants. Um, so verses, Colossians 3:15 to 17, which just precedes the verses I'm preaching on this morning, they say that since we are called to be a united body in Christ, a, the one body, uh, we should let the peace of God regulate our hearts, be the uh, rule or umpire is the idea. Let the peace of God regulate our hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in us and among us uh, by, let that 
Let the word of Christ dwell among us by uh, teaching uh, and admonishing. And teaching the idea of positive instruction and admonishing uh, has more the idea of correction. Um, whether in public or private, and also then it mentions, interesting to me, uh, the singing, that this might be done in singing as well through psalms, uh, Old Testament psalms, hymns, uh, which are songs addressed to God, and songs, uh, which would be more uh, what we think of as gospel songs. And then good human relationships, this is just a little summary I have before we get into the scripture. Um, good human uh, relationships, I believe, are dependent on and they grow out of our relationship with Christ. In other words, the kind of relationship we have with Christ and what that means to us, I think, uh, says it affects the kind of relationships we're able to have with people. So a few thoughts here. A, a secure, trusting relationship with Christ gives us assurance that we belong to Christ. And that uh, gives us assurance that we are a beloved son or daughter of the Heavenly Father, which delivers us from the fear that uh, we can easily have of other people. What are they thinking of us? Uh, do they like us? Uh, how are they evaluating us? There's a lot of concern. People have a lot of fears about things like this. And I think a, a secure relationship with Christ can help that. And a trusting relationship with Christ delivers us from the need to control other people. Uh, it can give us uh, confidence, uh, maybe I'd say confidence, that God is bigger than uh, other people and how they relate to us and things they say to us and they are not the final say might deliver us uh, from needing to protect ourselves from what we don't like and a trusting relationship with Christ delivers us from the shame and guilt we feel for who we are as a human or for the sins we've committed, or uh, free us from the need to perform in order to be accepted, loved. And uh, Christ is the one, we all know this, he's the one that redeems us from evil, and uh, he's the one who can redeem others um, who we find hard to live with. And so trust in Christ, I'm saying, is, is a big issue. The, the, the quality of our relationship with Christ and the meaning of it does affect uh, the way we relate to other people. So here in Colossians 3, um, I will read uh, from the King James, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as... It is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. 
Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with thy service, as man-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong that he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just, and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So as I'm reading here, it struck me that uh, there really are many more verses in this section that address uh, servants and masters than address husbands and wives and children. It's uh, fascinating to me. So, uh, first of all, the husband wife relationship, uh, the first point I have here on your outline is that husbands are the first among equals. Now, what I mean by that is the Bible speaks of husbands as being the leader in the home. They, they are what is called in the King James the head. So the Bible speaks of the husband as the head or leader, and I have chosen to call this the first among equals. Like the the Bible does not present uh, wives, women, as of less value or more stupid, ignorant. They don't know anything. In many ways. There's an equality, but they are not the head. The wife is not the head, and that's what I'm trying to communicate here. So I have a number of passages there, uh, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 3, and we're not going to uh, read all of those. So the things I'm going to say here are summary statements taken from these various passages. And, um, of course, I have the freedom to stand here right now and say whatever I say, and you will have the freedom to respond afterward. So I think what we see in these passages is that husbands lead. They are the first among equals. And this is rooted in creation um, that Adam, according to Scripture, Adam, Adam was formed first and then Eve, so this is a creation thing. It's not something that uh, was concocted by Paul uh, when he was living. It's rooted in creation. It is rooted in the fall, uh, according to 1 Timothy 2. Uh, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. And so uh, the woman is not to exercise authority over the man. 
And I'm just going to be transparent about this for myself. I find that a little confusing in this way that um, I noticed when um, they were reading the scripture up here from Genesis 3. Uh, now, I don't remember the verse, but the, the one phrase was that uh, Adam was corrected by God for not, for, for, for listening to his wife and not doing what God had commanded him to do. Okay? So, uh, it's, con- it's a little confusing to me because Adam failed by eating the fruit when he knew better which God was judging him for. But in doing that, he did not do what he knew is right, and he did not protect her. And I personally believe that that whole situation could have been redeemed if he had done what he, if he had obeyed. Uh, But I am not God, and I don't have, um, I'm not able to make judgment on that. It's just my thought. So husbands lead, it's rooted in creation. Husbands lead, it's rooted in the fall. Husbands uh, do not lead out of, well, because I am superior. So we have this instruction in 1 Peter 3 that husbands dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So the instruction there is that a husband honor the wife, the husband understand the wife's needs, the husband protect his wife because, and care for her because she is weaker, now, it doesn't say exactly how she's weaker, uh, maybe physically, uh, definitely more vulnerable, at risk. Um, I think in most societies, um, women need protection. Um, I think that's true, and the, and we also have here that the husband wife they are co-workers. They are heirs together. He he is the first, the leader here, but they are co-workers, and they are heirs together of the grace of life, working together. That's the idea. Uh, Men are not more intelligent. They're not more spiritual. They're not more insightful. Um, So you, you can disagree with me about these things. 
but that's my um, that's my experience. Women almost always have more insight into what is happening in a situation that is not obvious or not rational. Men tend to think, I believe I'm right about this, they tend to think that their wives, if they think their wife is less intelligent, I think it's because uh, the women tend to have more emotional intelligence than men. And um, and men tend to view this trait as, or gift as the women being um, controlled by their emotions. I'm just saying men and women are different. I think we know this. That doesn't make them more stupid or less valuable. So the truth is that women are weaker uh, in that they have no standing this this is my perception. A woman has no standing or voice that the men don't give her. I think that's true. In most situations. So the instruction for husbands is unselfish love. As Christ loved the church. Uh, and sacrificed his life, very life. Sacrificed unselfish love to the point of death. Suffered unto death for the benefit, welfare of others and not for himself. And Christ, of course, is the leader of the church. He suffered and died, but he's the leader. He's the head, the Lord. But then this is true, that Christ leads his church with humility. And, and Christ was critical of um, leaders who, who lived like um, the heathen, with power and not with humility. And so these verses also talk about do not be bitter, do not be harsh, uh, be kind, be respectful, be thoughtful. Uh, I'm not going to try to uh, go into the bitter part, why husbands might be bitter toward their wives, but that's the instruction. Then the instruction for wives, I have three words here in your notes uh, trying to summarize um, modest and submissive and silent. Uh, uh, the word modest, the Greek word for modest is also used of men in the New Testament but talking here about women. That women be modest, uh, the idea is that their inner they have an inner quiet spirit. And that it's expressed in their outer speech and behavior and appearance. Uh, it's the, the emphasis on the importance of an upright, tranquil, undisturbed, 
inner moral character that is expressed uh, in one's appearance in the way, the manner of life, the way they conduct themselves. And the word submissive, uh, I believe, is rooted, the idea there is rooted in their differing roles, that a woman should not attempt to usurp is the King James word, usurp their husband's leadership role. And as I mentioned before, First uh, Timothy, uh, according to First Timothy, God established this role. And First Corinthians eleven two, God established this order and role at creation. And then the word silent uh, is the idea of not agitated. The word silent does not mean can't make a noise. It means not to be agitated. Uh, it means tranquility arising from within and not agitated, and it does not mean that the woman cannot speak. So I had, um, I have something here I want to read. Uh, it's a little strong, okay? Uh, I saw this in the uh, third quarter, 2022, uh, deeper Life publication. The title of this on the front page is Biblical Authority. It's not what I thought. I don't know how many of you have seen this. Have you read it? Okay. It, it, it is strong. So uh, he says um, here that I have a primary responsibility to lead. That leadership should take the form of a servant since biblical leadership is patterned after Jesus. As a servant leader, I would be equipping, teaching, enabling, and encouraging my wife to accomplish her role. In reality, my leadership looks, this is now he's saying about himself. He's making a confession. In reality, my leadership looks more like lording than serving. As a lording leader, I tend to want to tell her what to do, make all the decisions, and expect to be served. By converting my leadership into a lording one, I actually attempt to reduce my responsibilities and expand my authority. Of course, this distorts the role and creates problems. What's worse, since I don't have permission by God to do that, he is not pleased with me when I do it. So here are three ways my lording leadership shows up. Now, I'll just say, when I first read this and read these three things, I, was, I have never seen these three things in print. And when I first read it, my first thought was, oh, my, 
Whew. That's really strong. But I've heard these things, and he's right. They describe something that I have seen and heard before, but never really put together. So here are his things. Three things. First, commanding or demanding my wife to do something. My role as husband does not include command and control responsibility as a military commander may. Therefore, I'm not given permission to command her. And the second, punishing my wife for disobedience. I do not have the responsibility to punish her for not obeying my commands since I don't have command and control responsibility. As I just stated, a servant leader does not punish, but gently instructs, persuades, admonishes, and encourages. Peter says to be considerate of her as I live with her, treating her with respect, and as joint heirs of the gift of life. Also treating her, as Paul says, by gently and humbly helping her back onto a right path if needed and sharing her burdens. The third one he gives is expecting my wife to ask permission to do what she already has responsibility to do. Her role as wife and my role as husband are designed to work together, not as king and subject, but as coordinated co-laborers. And there's more. And I, I know that may sound strong, um, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. So my, my summary thoughts on husband wives is that marriage, I think God intended it to be a partnership in which there is only one head. And the man is the leader, and what we need is firm, gentle leaders who are spiritually and emotionally mature, growing up spiritually and emotionally, who know what is right, uh, who can lead in a discussion and listen to input and evaluate and make decisions based on what's right and not be terribly insecure about it. Um, men need to be kind in their firmness. And probably none of us are perfect in any of this. Um, I believe it's also true that a, a woman's freedom to be submissive or meek is to some extent, maybe a large extent, rooted in her awareness that her husband will not take advantage of her and that uh, he will respect her in, in her meekness and submission. So parent-child relationship. In some ways, this, this area is as challenging as the husband-wife in my mind. So I want to say, first of all, parent-child, that, that the Christian tradition, in my mind, the Christian tradition is transmitted primarily in the home. That's the first place where children learn what it means to be a Christian. And that it's the first place where they see or don't see 
the Christian graces and Christian character, uh, what it means to to be a believer in Christ and follow Christ and uh, live an upright life. This is where, first of all, where they see it. And and I think it's true that that it's really really hard to transmit uh, the Christian, I'll, I'll call it Christian tradition, the gospel. It's extremely hard to transmit that to to children who who grow up in a in a uh, home where these character traits are not present. It's hard, it's hard to transmit to the next generation whatever it is that we say is important in the gospel or that we believe if it's not lived in the home. So it says here, uh, fathers do not embitter your children. Um, do not provoke your children to anger. Or they will become discouraged. So I, several things I want to say here about this. Um, and, and this is part of the result of things that I've heard, seen. Uh, children do not do well when they are shamed or harassed or treated like they are inferior, uh, stupid. I've seen these things, heard these things. Uh, this kind of treatment results in feelings of discouragement, inferiority, hopelessness, sullenness, things that parents then need to uh, discipline, anger, and, and in extreme cases, and maybe not so extreme, eventually it leads to a broken spirit. Um, and you may think that I am being uh, extreme in these things, but I have seen these things, uh, heard these things with my own ears. Um, I've seen this kind of treatment of children uh, in Walmart and uh, Sam's Club and grocery stores and uh, sometimes uh, among believers. So now I want to say what well, children need to be raised they need they need to be raised uh, they need instruction they need information they need warning they need boundaries they do they need to know that they belong that they are wanted that they are loved uh, they need compassion they need understanding uh, they lack knowledge they they lack experience uh, so, so a child, a young child, uh, uh, they 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 have to move from the concrete to the abstract. I, I noticed this about young children. Um, if a parent moves out of sight, physically out of sight, in the child's mind, it's like they've disappeared. They don't exist because now I can't see them. Okay, well, you can laugh about that or whatever, but it's just how it is. And eventually, you know, they learn, well, when they're not in sight, they're still alive. 
things like this, children, children have to learn things. And then they began to learn a lot, yes. And they began to reason about abstract ideas. And this varies with, the age varies with the children, various issues. But then they begin to examine everything that's going on around them. And they, they, they think about uh, the value systems they see and the things that are said and the inconsistencies in sermons and the inconsistencies of the parents. And they, they are recording all of this, you know, and adding it up and subtracting and it multiplies in their mind. Uh, you know, we we all know that this is what happens. And they do this with their parents. They do it with their siblings. They do it with church things. And then they begin to ask questions about the why and the what of things. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm saying all that to say that we all know that in some families, these these kinds of things that are kind of normal to happen, they get they get to be very intense things. And there's a lot of struggle that goes on. And children children tend to look at things in an idealistic way, and they, they don't have enough experience to have uh, mercy. Uh, their idealism is not tempered by experience. They see things how they should be and not how they are in the fallen world. And uh, some of that is justified, and some of it we wish they could relax. I'm sorry to make this what I'm saying. You know, it's what it is. So it, it is easy. It is easy to become very uh, pressured about all of this and uh, to wonder, what, how in the world are you supposed to raise a child? And uh, children need, they need uh, to be heard, um, listened to, cared for. They need attention in time. Uh, they need they need their parents in their life, and and they need to be raised. They need a relationship with their parents. Okay, but then we also have this: that children obey. And uh, I think it is, I say this kindly, but I think it's easy for children when they get up in the teen years to to feel like that whatever inconsistencies they see, uh, that, that uh, relieves them of the need to obey. And I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, Child-parent. Relationships are not a simple matter. Uh, children obey does seem to be simple enough, uh, but it, I'm just acknowledging I know it can be quite challenging. So parents are imperfect; they fail. That we we know that we don't get. I didn't get. We didn't get raising our children perfect. Um, but in the end, uh, I think I want to say to the children that your parents 
your parents need to help you learn. They do need to do this, learn to express yourself, and need to listen to whatever you want to say. That that may be true. They do need to, but but children need to learn. Uh, they need to learn to obey and honor and respect their parents, and that's what the Bible commands. And uh, in order for children to do that, especially as they get older, in order for children to do that, they have to uh, do what's called submit. They have to uh, give in and uh, come under uh, when when they really don't want to. And uh, we've all been there as adults. We've all been there. And... uh, so this is what the Bible teaches. Okay, the last section here is instruction to servants. And I, I'm assuming, I think I'm right about this, that this, this, this item about servants is here because there were a lot of house servants in that day. And, and I think even believers had servants and uh, the Bible does not condemn slavery. I suppose you know that. And uh, in that culture, perhaps, perhaps, uh, servants, uh, when, when the servant-master relationship was good, it probably could have been, don't shoot me, may have been quite beneficial for some people to actually be the servants and be cared for in this way in a home. I don't think it was all negative. But the instruction here is uh, a servant was one whose will was subject to the master, carried out the uh, responsibilities given by the master, and uh, it would also mean, I think, that the master could limit the servant would need to limit their actions uh, as a result of the desires of the master and so this is kind of like uh, under somebody and and need to uh, meet some expectations and so on and so the idea of obey is the idea of to listen to to listen under because you're subject to someone and you have to give heed to what is being said. So the idea of obey. So it says obey your masters uh, and do this for the sake of, uh, do it as unto the Lord. Not just for them, but unto the Lord. So the idea of love in the home, of course, uh, I could try, we could try to uh, give each other a lot of detailed instructions about how to do this, how to be this way or that way or whatever. But I think we all know that underlying the right and wrong of many things is the attitude in our heart toward the people uh, that we're with, and so this this love, uh, especially said of 
husbands for their wives, love them. Love at home, when love reigns in our hearts, uh, a lot of these um, difficult, what we see as difficult situations, uh, the difficulty can be reduced if there's true love. God-like love in our hearts. So this this is the call love to love and respect and uh, work together for the sake of Christ and His kingdom, and the sake of um, in the case of the home is partly for the sake of the welfare of the children uh, to love. This is our call. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and its instruction. And we ask that you, that you would speak to each of us by your spirit and give us understanding uh, of your word and of how you uh, want to apply it to each of us personally. Uh, bless each one here with understanding. And uh, and I pray that you would accomplish your good purposes in each of our hearts in in areas where we where we need to grow. Uh, bless the parents, bless the husbands, the wives, the children, each of us. And thank you. Amen.